So today we begin to look at Psalm 19. We'll be in Psalm 19, and we'll take the first half of it today, verses 1 through 6, and the Lord willing, we'll look at the second half the next time. Uh, But Psalm 19, and as you turn there, you know, what do the stars tell us? And there are those who believe that the stars will tell us everything. If you want to know how your life is going to go, look to the stars. Because it depends on what month you were born in, uh, right? It depends on where the moon is at in relation to the stars and all these things. Uh, I'm referring, of course, to astrology, not astronomy. Astronomy is the study of the stars. Astrology is this uh, this idea, this uh, this view that you can use the stars to tell the future and by looking to them and and what season it is uh, you can tell if you're going to have a a new connection is going to be made today right that sounds like something that you'd read in an astrological uh, uh, profile uh, or or something else right it's it's normally something very vague today you're going to have an experience Right. It's going to be an experience. Um, But even if even if we took that as being true, that it is possible for the stars to tell us our destiny, our future, that would be a lesser function. That would be a lesser function because, yes, the stars perform a greater function than supposedly telling us uh, the, the futures of men and women. The stars declare the glory of God. The heavens above and the earth below serves as witness to the glory of our creator God. They speak of his might and his majesty, his splendor and his beauty. And why do I say that that is a greater function? Why is this a higher purpose? Because glorifying God and indeed the glory of God itself is greater than anything else. He alone is the highest and best in all creature. Uh, That's a combined word of creation and creatures. Creatures there, I can't say it. All creatures and all creation exists to serve him. And that's not a burden. That's our purpose. This is what we were created for. And when we live out our purpose, uh, we find uh, joy and blessing. Uh, As the Westminster Catechism asks and answers, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so this morning, as we look at Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, I want us to see that in creation, we have a witness of our creator God. And so let us read the scripture. Psalm 19, starting in verse 1. And this is a Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving its chamber, and, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. This is the word of the Lord. 
And so again, this is a psalm of David. This is a song of David, right? Because that's what psalms are. They are songs. This would have been sung by the people of Israel and perhaps something we should sing ourselves. Um, So I, I say that it's a song because that's important for our understanding, for our interpreting of this. This is written as poetry. So we need to treat it as poetry, right? There are what we see in here, we can't always take with a literal understanding. Uh, but we have to understand that and read it as we would read poetry and metaphor and simile and the like. Uh, there are forms that appear in the psalm and others uh, like repetition, right? So something we see uh, is repetition and saying the same thing in a slightly different way that connotates something a little different. Uh, but it's conveying the same idea, right? And we we do that in song. And as to this psalm, we can break it up into two main parts. The the verses I read, uh, verses 1 through 6, which talks about the creation and its testimony, its witness of the glory of God. And then we could also look at verses 7 to 14, which speak to the way that the Mosaic Law, or we could say maybe more broadly, the, the word of God shows the glory of God. And so let's turn to our passage, though, today, verses 1 through 6, and let us see first the proclamation of creation, the proclamation of creation, and that's in verse 1. All right? And so this verse, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. This verse is the first thesis of our psalm. The heavens declare, and the sky above proclaims. And what is it that they're shouting about? What is it that they're uh, extolling? The glory of God and the handiwork that he has uh, used to make it. If we were to take a step back, and we were to stare up at the night sky, we were to look through a telescope, what we see is a declaration about the glory of God. All creation has the fingerprints of God upon it. Each structure and law of nature and planet and star and flower is made by the handiwork of God. And if we look upon the creation above us and around us with eyes open and ears listening, we will find a testimony about a God who creates that these things are not by chance. Now there is in our day a philosophy, a worldview called naturalism. And there is much in the scientific community today. So what is taught in science class, what is uh, described in uh, scientific journals, that isn't actually science. It doesn't describe science but rather it describes naturalism. Not because science is what can be tested and known, but philosophy and the philosophy of naturalism is about conjecture, right? It's about argument. It's about uh, making a logical argument or a logical deduction to arrive at an understanding of the world. Those two are very different. There are those who say that all around of the all around us, everything that we see, everything that we uh, can touch and taste, smell, 
Sometimes we don't want to do any of those things with the things we see, right? But all these things are by chance. That the right molecule was in the right place at the right time. There are those who describe the beginning of this universe not by the hands of God, but by the occurrence of chance. And these conjectures, these philosophical deductions, they're passed off as hypotheses and as laws of nature. They say this is how things are, when in fact they are a philosophical system known as naturalism. So when it comes to science, we have to distinguish between naturalism and science. We have to distinguish between that which is what we are attempting to do in science, which is to test and measure, and that which is naturalism, which is a conjecture, a philosophical worldview. And there is a point to all this, by the way. Naturalism posits that only what can be measured is real and that there is nothing that cannot be measured. So understand that, right? So, so the basis, one of the assumptions of naturalism is that it alone talks about and deals with that which can be measured and everything in the universe can be measured. And if it can't be, it's not real. It's not part of the universe. It's imagination. Science deals with measurement. But science doesn't go so far to say, right? Real science, true science, does not go so far to say that only what can be measured is real, right? So, so understand, there's a distinction here, and if I have not made that clear enough, talk with me afterwards because I would I want to I want to point that out to you because there's a, a mixing of those two in our day. Again, in science class, what we see on TV, what we what what we hear in the news, there's a mixing of these two that says that only what is measurable is real, and that's not true. It's not true because the heavens declare the glory of God. And God is not one who can be measured. Consider the might and majesty of the stars for a moment. If we were here on earth to step outside this afternoon and just stand in the sun all day, what's going to happen? We'll burn up. Right? Some of us more than others. Some of us might just tan, but we'll, we'll burn. It'll hurt us. What would be the case if we were to fly a couple million miles closer to the sun? The people who tan would actually burn, right? And we don't even have to go that far. If we just leave the protective layer of our atmosphere and we expose ourselves to the direct sunlight, we're irradiated, we're burnt to a crisp, we die. That, my friends, is might. That's power. And we'll get a little bit more into that at the end of our verses. But as we look at the stars above and their constellations and their variety and their structures, we see the evidence of glory. But the stars do not proclaim their own glory. This is important. The stars aren't shouting about how glorious they are. 
the psalmist says they declare the glory of another. They declare the handiwork of their creator, God. Let us remember Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we could go to verses 14 to 18 to see, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And, then, uh, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And that's important. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There is only one creator God, and he has revealed himself in his creation. He has made the stars in the sky. He has made our closest star, the sun. He has made the moons. And these show off his handiwork. He gives us times and seasons, days and years. Paul says this in reflecting on the issue of election towards his people. In Romans eleven thirty three, he declares, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And we might take this up and talk about it in, in creation itself. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Creation is a marvelous masterpiece of the mind of God. It exudes his wisdom. It shows forth his power. And we have been created with the sense and mind to observe and witness this, the proclamation of creation. And we also hear the voice of creation. So let's look at that in verses 2 through the first part of verse 4. The voice of creation. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. All right, each day and each night, David sings, speak of their creator. From day to night, to day to night, the knowledge of the Creator is voiced. God in His providence sustains and provides for all of His creation. And do you realize that in, in the day and the night cycle, we have the providence of God. Because in the night we rest. If all we ever had was light, it would be terrible. Uh, things... Things would die quicker, right? They would dry up. I know some of you have lived in Alaska. And you know what it's like to have nothing but day and nothing but night. It's not a great situation. We need the night. We need the day. The night gives us rest and the day gives us the light. The light of day for life. David continues, there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. And here we have a translation issue, a translation question. Uh, the NASB and the NET render it something like, there is no speech nor are there words, their voice is not heard. So that's one version. And the meaning of that is something like, there isn't speaking or vo word or voice, right? David is saying, there aren't actually words. But, as we go to verse 4, right, their voice goes out through all the earth. So he's saying, in one sense, there is no actual speech, 
but there kind of is speech. And so we could interpret it that way. The King James Version uh, and, and the ESV, which I read, follow a little different understanding. The King James says, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. So the meaning here is something like, there is no tongue, there is no language, there is no culture where the voice of creation is not heard and understood. Uh, to put it in a little bit more nerdy terms, creation has a universal translator and everybody can hear and understand them. And some of you will get that and some of you will just look at me like I'm crazy, uh, but that's a, that's a freebie for some of you, right? But So the King James Version, the ESV, says something like, Creation can speak to everyone and anyone. Creation can speak to everyone and anyone. And I would lean on that uh, understanding versus the kind of con- contradictory, there is no voice, but there is a voice. Uh, but let's move on to verse 4. Their, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the earth. Regardless of which way we interpret verse 3, the voice of creation does go throughout all the earth and it goes, it, it speaks everywhere what it speaks. There's nowhere on earth that is not privy to the cry of creation. And what does it cry? Glory, glory, glory to God in the highest. As Jesus enters into Jerusalem in triumph before he exits it to his death, we have these words of Jesus in Luke 19, verses 37 through 40. Luke 19, 37 through 40. As he was drawing near, that is Jesus, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Even the very stones cry out. Creation has to testify of its creator. It has no other choice. The book of Colossians tells us that Jesus is our creator. Or we could go to John's gospel in chapter 1. All things were made through him. But let's look at Colossians 1, 15 to 16. Colossians 1, 15 to 16. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And you, friend, were created to glorify your creator. You were created for the purpose of worship. You were created to worship Jesus. This is why we gather Sunday after Sunday. Do you understand that? Do you realize that? We don't gather to have a club. We're not here for a club meeting. We're not here to discuss the latest sports scores. We are not here to talk about the things that entertain us on television 
YouTube, TikTok, what have you. We are here to worship God. We gather to worship God. This church, this body of Christ, is gathered to give God the glory due His name. Do you understand that that is your purpose, beloved? Do you understand that that is your purpose? Even you who don't believe in Jesus as the Son of God, that is your purpose in life. That is why you were created. That is why we ought to pray and read our Bibles. Worship. We were made to worship our Lord and God. And listen, we can only worship what we know. Right? We can only worship whom we know. And that's why in the second part of the psalm, he talks, David talks about the things about the, the word of God and what it does. But the problem is, of course, what Paul describes in the book of Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and 20 through 23. Listen to what Paul says for here. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So let me just pause there and say, right? That's what David is singing about here in our psalm. Right? His invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly perceived. The voice of creation has, has extolled the glory of God. The power of God, His divine nature. Continue. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The heavens declare... The voice of creation is clear. But we have altogether become fools. For though the stones know whom they should cry out about. Right? That's what Jesus says. If I stop these disciples from praising, the stones will praise. The stones know who their creator is. But we and our ever... uh, Ever great wisdom. Exchange the wisdom of the stones for the wisdom of a fool. And instead of worshiping our Creator, instead of worshiping the one who alone is worthy to be worshiped, we look to the things around us. We look to one another. We look up at the created order and think, well, gee, that is God. And understand that that's part of what is happening in our culture in this issue of, of uh, naturalism. I'll go back to that for just a moment. That what we see in naturalism is this idea that the created order is the one that ought to be worshipped. Man, look at the power of the Big Bang. Look at all that the Big Bang did and accomplished. Look at how those those amorphous molecules gathered together and we came out of the goo. Praise the goo. And I know that sounds ridiculous, right? But that's what we're doing. We're exchanging 
We're exchanging the glory of the immortal God for the created order. How foolish are we? How foolish we are. You were created to give God the glory to His name, and yet how frequently we work to bring, bring glory to our own names. You were created to worship, but how often we fail to worship the only one who is worthy of it. This should not be, and this must not be. And Calvin writes about this passage, The glory of God is not written in small, obscure letters but richly engraven in large and bright characters which all men may read and read with the greatest ease. God hasn't hidden His glory in creation, but rather He has writ it large. And if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we will see the glory of God and we will hear the creation around us proclaim it. We will hear the voice of creation. And let us see the light of creation. The light of creation in the last half of verse 4 through verse 6. The end of verse 4. In them he has set a tent for the sun. Right In the sky, that is, uh, there is a tabernacle that has been built for the sun. And the sun shows us with brighter sense the majesty and might of God. So let's not look... Uh, light years and light years away, millions upon billions and trillions of miles away, uh, let us look at our nearest star, the sun. And David gives us three aspects of the sun which reflect something of its creator. And the first is that we see in the first part of verse 5, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. Men, the day of your wedding is probably one of the days you look the nicest. There may be some wardrobe issues, that some, some last-minute issues that might may, may preclude that. But typically, right, the bridegroom, the groom, it's the day when you pull out all the stops and you adorn your nicest finery. It's the day when I bring out my fancy silver pocket watch, right? That's that kind of day. What splendor the groom has on the day of his wedding. The bride has her beauty, and the groom has his splendor. What resplendence our God has. As the psalmist sings in Psalm 96, verses 5 and 6. Psalm 96, 5 and 6. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength or beauty. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. And our son is but a pale reflection of the reality that is our creator God. And when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in his exaltation in heaven, you will know then the full splendor, the full measure of the splendor of the bridegroom. Jesus is splendor. The sun has splendor. The second aspect David gives us is like a strong man runs its course with joy. And this Calvin relates is speaking of the excellency of form, right? This is the image of one who takes off in a race to win the prize. And it's not just any guy, right? The, because, listen, I'm not a runner. I don't claim to be a runner. I wouldn't try to be a runner. It would go poorly. There is no excellency to my form, 
You see me running, you probably think, well, what's wrong with that boy, right? That's, that's the kind of form that I have. What's, what's wrong with him? But it is remarkable when you see a real runner. When you see someone who has such strength in their body and such, such ability to control their body, you see the excellency of their form. You say, wow, that person has excellency. Look at them run. Look at how they, how they seek the prize of winning. They're disciplined, they're skilled, they're trained, they're practiced. The sun is infinitely more so, right? It races across the expanse of the sky. It moves with more speed than we can muster, right? And it doesn't deviate and waver. It doesn't stagger about. But the course it sets out on is the course it carries through. It doesn't falter. He continues in verse 6 to say its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And uh, here we have to deal with this reality, right? Because it seems as though David is saying, right, the sun is the one that moves in the sky. And if we know our, our basic science, we know the sun does not move in the sky. The earth rotates and that makes it look like the sun is moving in the sky. And so we know that to not be true. So the Bible's wrong. So let's just stop here. And you could go ahead. There's a big trash can back there. You can toss your Bible right into that and we'll be done. No, right? Of course, I'm, I'm being facetious there. I'm, not, I'm joking there. What are we to do with this? Remember that David is writing poetry. Right? This is not a literal description for us to, to hang our scientific hat on. This is poetry. And second, we have to realize that whereas we and our modern culture have a scientific bent to everything we say and do, right? We, we always want to be scientifically accurate. David does not have that cultural bent. And he is not trying to give us a scientific description of the way things work. But rather, what is he doing? He's providing for us a simple image that anybody can understand. A child can sing this and understand it. Why? Because a child can go out and look up at the sun and say, oh yeah, look at it, it's running its course. It's going across. Go stare at the sun. Watch it throughout the day. And then describe in simple terms so that anyone may sing. Also, don't actually go and stare out at the sun. That's a bad idea. I did that when I was growing up, and my contact lenses now are getting so thick that my head's starting to droop a little, droop forward a little, because it's so heavy. But let's not get upset with David, that he's not scientifically accurate in this song. And let's instead remember, what is David doing? He's drawing our attention to the glory of God, to the excellency of God, the glory of our Creator. But he does give us one more aspect and at the end of verse 6 there. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. This is not the invigorating heat of the sun. All right? This is not the heat that we like in the middle of winter when it's zero out and we want to just we want to absorb the rays of the sun. This is not the light that gives life. 
No, what David is talking about here is the power of the sun. The heat that saps strength, that fries necks and dries out vegetation. This is the power of heat. And yet for all its muster, the power of the sun, the heat of the sun, while intense and vastly more than anything we could do, is but a pale comparison to the power of God. The Lord God with a word created the power of the sun. What more could he do? Our God created the sun. He gave it its power. And how much more worthy is the creator of the object to receive the glory? How much more powerful is he who does not merely harness the power of the sun, but gives it its power? So David writes, extolling the glory and goodness of our creator God. He points to the heavens, the skies above, and all their wonder to have us to consider the nature of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when you look up, do you hear the heavens cry out about the glory and majesty of God? You should, because all creation serves to show his glory, and this includes you. Worship. Worship God, brothers and sisters. Give him the glory to his name. Extol all of his wonderful ways. The fact that the sun exists, the stars shine forth, the earth completes its circuit, is a testament to the wisdom and power of God. It shows us not just his wisdom and power in that first act of creation, but it continues to show the wisdom and the power of God because he sustains it. We are because he is. Right? We are dependent upon God for our being. God is. He was, he is, and he is to come. He depends on nothing and no one. But all of this creation that we see around us depends on the providence of God sustaining it. He needs not his creation, but he gladly, with love, with joy, creates, provides, protects, and he pursues you in love, beloved. So worship God. Pray to him with thanksgiving and praise. Glorify him. And this, by the way, gives you a means of witnessing to others about who God is. The creation of God gives you reason to speak of the wonders and the glory of God. When others remark upon the beauty of the earth, you can speak of the way in which the all-beautiful Creator has made it such. I know we don't often talk about God in terms of beauty. It's something we see in the Psalms. It's something we see in the Scripture. God is beautiful. Do you not want to know where the beauty of the rose arrived, came from, derived from? God. God is more beautiful than the flowers of the fields, than the expanse of stars in the heavens above. When others remark upon the cunning with which the world and the skies above operate, when they say, man, it's amazing what the body can do, it's amazing the cycle of the seasons around us. You can extol the all-wise God who made all things. Why do we have seasons? Because God created seasons. And he saw that it was good. And when others remark about how wrong things are, 
how broken this world is, how there is such evil. You can testify about the God of love who broke into this world in his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem this world from the curse of sin. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 22, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And you can testify to that blessed hope to which we hold, who are in Christ, Romans 8.23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And this Jesus has begun in his death and resurrection. And this is what Jesus will complete when he comes again and makes all things new. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. For some of you, however, you have no hope. You have been deaf to the voice of creation. You have been blind to the declaration of creation. As it stands now, you will not experience the redemption of your bodies. Indeed, you are blind and deaf to the truth of what creation testifies. Because all around you, the world screams that there is a creator God. And if there is such a God, it would behoove you to consider what he has made you for. There is such a God. And the Bible is the revelation of God for all people. It is not just the creation that has spoken. No, the creator himself has spoken unto us. And as you recognize that this world is not as it should be, you must also recognize that you are not as you should be. You were created to glorify God, but your natural sinful self refuses to do so. Sin is such that it corrupts everything it touches and its tendrils are wrapped tightly around you. And there is nothing that you can do to remove them yourself. There is nothing you can do but look to the creator God in the hope that he will act. And so he has. He sent his son into this world to live the life you never can, to die the death that you should, to rise from the grave, to defeat sin and death, and ascend to heaven, to wait the time when he will come and return and gather his people and make all things new. You can be part of his people if you look to him, if you trust in him, if you repent, that is, you turn from your sins and turn to God. Friend, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today and you will be saved. Call upon him and you can be forgiven of your sin. Open your eyes. Unstop your ears. Hear the voice of creation testifying to the glory of God and glorify God yourself. Worship him and him alone. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, great and glorious one, you who are, are so so wise and so powerful, so majestic and mighty, so exalted and holy. Lord God, we worship you as the creation cries out your glory. So, Lord God, our hearts are turned to cry out your glory. To ascribe unto you, O Lord God, all that is true of you. And so, Father, we pray that you are praised in us, that you receive the worship 
you are worthy of. Oh, Father God, be exalted in your people. Be exalted by your people. And Father, we pray for those who don't know you, that you would have mercy upon them and give of them of the Holy Spirit, Father, that they would see and hear. Lord God, do this work to the praise of your glory, that many more might worship you. And Father, put it within us who are your people to invite others to worship you, to help others to see the wonder, the beauty, the majesty, and the marvelous love of our Savior Jesus Christ. Lord God, be praised this day, we pray, in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He who is your Son. Amen.